I'm Steve Conley from Flotsam and Jetsam. You're listening to Focus on Metal. Hey, Metalheads, Scott here. And Richie. Welcoming you to another episode of Focus on Metal. How we doing, man? All right. Made it down into piss and rain. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sick of fucking rain. Oh, man. I know. I know. Well, Why do we always talk about the weather at the start? That's an Irish thing. It That's is. Just, That's it why. Is. It's because of yeah, you. It's me. Bastard. Yeah. But, uh, hey, at least it wasn't raining a couple weekends ago out oh. in Worcester, although it was hot as fuck. Oh, it was fucking roasting. <laughs> and then it got worse. It got worse. <laughs> yeah, well, no. It ended up great, but um, we got hooked up for tickets yeah. and meet and greet. And the meet and greet was supposed to be at three o'clock. So we arrive into the box office at three to be told that the box office opens at like 3.30. Yeah. And then we go up to the box office at 3.30 and we have a photo pass and two tickets. And we know meet and greet, so we were told to stand outside the hallway. Yeah. And then Tom, the Primal Fear guitar player, walks past. And yeah. we recognize him. You yeah. you, you talked to him yeah. and said, hey, Tom, are you going for a walk or whatever it was? I was just asking him, hey, what's going on? What, you know, what are you doing? And, yeah. and he told us he was, he was like, you know, if you got any place where I can watch the football. Champions, Champions League final. Yeah. And um, so we sent him back around the corner. And we're waiting for the meet and greet. And there's no sign. We haven't seen any other band members at this stage. Right. And next thing they put this thing up on the wall, the meet and greet is at 6.30. Now, of course, we adjusted our days. The weather was good. We had stuff to do in the house. Yeah, so we We figured we'd fuck off for a bite to eat. (laughs) We'd fuck off for a bite to eat. But we were a little bit pissed because we could have come out later on. Oh, yeah. And uh, so we met Tom and Tom said, I'm in the bar around the corner. It's halftime. Yeah. So we go in anyway and Tom's there and we're having a beer. Well, he was going to get Alex. Yeah, if he, could, if he could. Go down. And he was like, yeah, just, my beer is still there. Look for my beer. That's Alex Boyright, the guitarist. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and um, so we went down, we had a beer. Tom comes in and sits down. So we go over and we sit with Tom. And uh, next thing, uh, Ralph Sheepers and Matt Sinner come in. So we're sitting with them watching yeah. the game. And we were, uh, it was Tom's roadie was with us, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. A great guy. And we're just shooting the shit stories. And next thing Tom says, oh, I got to go back for the meet and greet. And I said, no, no, Tom, that's at 6.30. We're on it. Yeah. <laughs> so we, and then the game went to extra time and it went to penalties yeah. and we had a few beers and just shooting the shit. It was great. Yeah, yeah. And then it was, uh, yeah. And, and, you know, talking Talking guitar with with Tom was pretty cool. Just you know, off the cuff and There's some stories we can't tell and, on the and, air. Yeah, yeah, we can't tell some of the stories. <laughs> but they had between him and the and, uh, and the tech, they had some great stories. Oh. And uh, and and again, I mean, you, you know, some a lot of the same people and stuff too. But uh, yeah, good. I mean, just a good time, just hanging out. Just um, I think it, it was funny too because you know, in the bar, like nobody had a fucking clue who these guys were. No, it was like we're sitting. It was like a little cigar bar, and we're sitting in a back room or basically and and we've got i think a bunch of people were they from barcelona or something i believe they so there? they were they were cheering for one of the madrid teams yeah and so we're just sitting back there with them and they're just doing their thing and we're doing our thing and uh and then i don't know was that guy's wife or girlfriend just sitting there quietly like watching all this go mm. on and, and uh yeah then yeah they're telling stories and and she's just kind of sitting there i don't know if you saw any of the expressions on her face i couldn't <laughs> i couldn't see her but she's listening to some of the shit we're talking about 
we were talking about something with guitars, and I just happened to be like, yeah, I was talking to Michael. I was talking to Shanker this morning about, and Tom's like, Shanker? I mean, like Michael? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, and he was just like, and we got into this whole conversation about Waz and, and all this shit. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it was a good afternoon just sitting in the bar, just shooting the shit, having, yeah, you know, having a good time. And then uh, then afterwards, uh, Ralph and, and uh, Matt had already had dinner. And yeah, they'd gone to that Thai place. Yeah. Like, oh yeah, go there. So we ended up going over. So it was it was uh, their tech and Tom and Richie and I just going over to the Thai place and sitting down and and having some uh, some pretty cool pad Thai. And yeah. uh, well, a lot so- a lot of these guys, like you don't want to go up to them and just start talking. I love your album. Yeah. I love this album. Just. They're yeah. not, you know, they just want to talk normal shit. Yeah. You know, the last thing they want is someone to start fawning all over them. We right. were just shooting the shit with them. I was talking about football and you right. were talking about, we were just talking about loads of, loads of different stuff, yeah, just, you know. Just, just hanging steak. out. Yeah, we're steak. We're the best steak in Florida. And I'm yeah. like, what the fuck are you yep. on about? And, uh, and, and just, yeah, just, and it was just, and we had a good conversation at dinner, more stories. Um, ended up just buying dinner for him because, uh, you know, what the hell, why not? And uh, then going back and then meeting Alex in the lobby, introduced myself to Alex. And then he was like, oh, you know, fucking finally great to meet you. I've talked to you so often. And uh, he's put my arm, his arm around me. We're walking in the lobby and and uh, we went down for meet and greet. And then that was the big joke because we'd been freaking hanging out drinking for hours. Well, the only guy we, had, <laughs> the only guy we hadn't met at that stage was the drummer. With, yeah, it was with Chesco. Yeah. So it was just it was so it was like a big fucking joke. They're they're laughing. Yeah, and we but, walk in. And, but the other band were there as well. Luca Torelli's Rhapsody. Rhapsody. Yeah, and they had they were just looking like what the fuck's going on? Like, what's so funny? Yeah. So, <laughs> but they were nice guys. You know, did design stuff and then pictures and all that. Yeah. yeah. Then we went upstairs. It was a sweat box. Yeah. It was roasting in there, and it was the first band we saw. Armory. Armory. They're pretty good. Yeah, they were good. They were good. Good singer. Yeah. Um, did look. They look like the singer had the metal look, and then you kind of look at a couple of the other guys in the band. One, the keyboard player, the rat T-shirt. Yeah, um, they don't have a good band. Yeah, they, they were, were good. Pretty, pretty solid. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, it's kind of what sucked. I, they, all right. So I'm, I'm a, you know, massive Primal Fear fan, right? But for those of you that don't know, the, the, the Palladium. Okay, they're, they're a great venue out in Worcester. They support the hell out of metal. Um, it is like probably the one venue that consistently here in Massachusetts that has always has all kinds of metal bands going through. They do the, the uh, new England metal and hardcore fast. Mm-hmm. They're, they're a huge metal supporter, but there's a couple of different rooms in the palladium. And the big one is the big room. That's like downstairs. It's like the original big room. And for me, I'm thinking you've got fucking primal fear. If nothing else, you know, like, never mind Rhapsody, but if you had, you know, primal fear to me, it's like you just open up the fucking big room. And instead they played the small room up front, which is, like playing a freaking lobby. Yeah, I mean, you, you got to wonder: was that originally in the in the big room, and was it moved up? Um, was it marketed well? Because they were advertising. If you go on the website, the show's been advertised on the website for months. Yeah, and I, I I'll be honest: I thought they were going to be in the big room. Yeah. Well, the thing though, too, right, is is even if they were to advertise like on AAF and stuff, right? They don't fucking play any of their songs. Yeah. Right. So and and even. Even uh, you know, even when we got there, right? The band was was walking around and stuff. Like for the most part, nobody knew it was the band. Mm. You know what I mean? It's like you know, we said you know we said hi to Ralph and stuff. And we walked up and obviously talking to Tom a couple times as he was trying to find a place to watch the football. But uh, like nobody 
Nobody fucking recognized the band at no. all. No, maybe Matt. Because Matt has the look with the long blonde hair. Yeah. And we didn't even see Alex until he came in for the meet and greet. So he wasn't even around. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then they the new drummer. So people probably, you know, it's not Randy Black anymore. So maybe people... But it was just like, you know, but so they don't even, you don't even, uh, don't, you know, don't really know. But it was, I just, yeah, it was such a small fucking room to play. I mean, they came out, they did a fucking oh, they dynamite. Were, they were fucking I mean, awesome. They were, you know, just top to bottom. Flawless set. F- what to do? Five tracks off the new one. I think four. They did four. four. They did. At the end is near. They did um, the title track and in metal we trust. phenomenal they really were phenomenal they, they did i mean great stuff uh stuff off at least one track off of most of the the major albums um if you look on setlist fm it's wrong they played fucking nuclear fire it's not on the set list they fucking played <laughs> that's it. always wrong so, <laughs> that's some guy just going half pissed out of his head saying um, this is what they played no it was that fucking dude with the notebook man <laughs> <laughs> oh <laughs> jesus forgot about Christ. him yeah and and then the other thing was Again, I'm, I guess I'm partial to Rhapsody of Fire, having Alex on the show a couple times. But, I mean, it was amazing. There were people that left after Rhapsody. Uh, yeah, like, I, who the fuck would leave? It's primal fear. Listen, I'm, I'm going to be, I'm always honest on the show. They bored the fucking tits off me. Yeah. They were, they were like Halloween on steroids. <laughs> and that kind of stuff has, a shelf life for me could be one song, maybe two. Yeah. And it's all this sing-along stuff and... It just bored the crap out of me. It really did. Yeah. Um, but it was just, 
uh, there were some people that were losing their shit over them. Oh, and, and then they left after. And then they left afterwards. I'm thinking it's primal fear. Like, what the fuck? Yeah. Well, you know? if, if they want to go, they want to go. So then there was that other dude. Remember the, the the metal dude when we got there? Which dude was that? Oh, the guy with the jacket. Like all in black. The jacket. With with the very new looking patches, oh, yeah. but he he looked like he was like the original Saxon roadie from like 1978 or something, right? Yeah, and he had the he had the the, the hair, yeah, to go hair, with and he had the porn big big gray porn stash, the whole thing. Oh, yeah, what he right. had he had like all the patches, the armor. What was the classic the, patch? The, on the Cinderella, back. wasn't it? No, no, he fucking worse. Yeah. Helix? No, no, Helix would have been fine. I'm Brittany to, Fox. Oh, for, oh yeah, Brittany Fox. I'm like, where, where the fuck did he get he that? He had a big Saxon patch, and he had a fucking brand new Brittany Fox patch on underneath it. <laughs> <laughs> and and I mean, it had to be like 120 degrees in there. Yeah. And he kept that fucking jacket on the whole time. It was right up on, right up in front. The, the girl at the merch boot for Primal Fear. I bought her <laughs> a bottle of water. She was fucking melting and. I, I went over to her and I said, here, I got, I got you this downstairs. And she just put it up to her face like this. <laughs> she was fucking melting. She was, she was stuck there. But she couldn't move. There was nobody to help her. Yeah. And But the place was a sweat box. But, and th- there was some kids there as well, which is that good to see. That was cool. That was awesome. That, that, like that one family on the balcony that brought like the two kids with them. I gave my kid uh, the sign picture. That was, that was cool. To see them, the kids there, it was fucking awesome. Yeah. It's good to see kids at shows. Yeah. Yeah. Especially, you know, a band like that. Like, normally they're a little bit less metal. Yeah. Bring a fucking kid to a Primal Fear show. It was great. You know, and the other thing, too, was it was cool is that it was actually a pretty varied crowd. It was. Right? I mean, we had, we ended up going up in, in the balcony because it was fucking cooler up there than uh, it was down on not the floor. Mu- not much. Not much, but it was a little bit. And, uh it was, you know, up there, there was, there was definitely some guys that looked like they just came in from accounting. Um, but down on the floor, there was still like, there was a lot of like college age girls down there. Yeah. And stuff. It was There's actually a lot of girls, a lot of girls at the show. Good to see. Always. It was very good to see. Always good to see. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it was definitely, if you thought you were going to Primal Fear and it's a sausage fest, wrong. Um, definitely there was uh, some, uh, some very tasty metal maidens there. That's mm. for damn sure. And, uh, but just a good, just a good varied crowd of, uh, of people. Um, the other fucking thing was that there was that one kid. It was so fucking hot. And the whole night he had that sweater vest on. Oh yeah. You forgot about him too, huh? Yeah, dude. Oh man. All night. Like he had that, like, okay. I could see if maybe you got off work and you came to the show, but it's fucking hot. Like yeah, yeah. leave the vest in the car. It was, it was like 93 out in the, outside. It was, it was. <laughs> that, yeah. We never said that. It was like 90 outside. And this place is an old yeah. sweat box. And, and, oh, that was the other thing we asked Tom about air conditioning. Yeah. So Tom says to us that we won't put the air conditioning on because Ralph doesn't want it as a vocalist. Yeah. They must have fucking melted on the <laughs> stage. He must have sweat the few beers he had in him out. Oh yeah. In no it time. Was, it was definitely, they had every couple of songs. It was like, Wiped the guitars down, and uh, they were like the drummer was grabbing the fan and like moving the. They'd all gather around back by the drummer, and he's like fan him. And then yeah, <laughs> but Ralph sing as live singer, fucking amazing. Oh, yeah, it was great, amazing the crowd, and uh, definitely uh, yeah, it was cool to finally you know after after talking to those guys and stuff, it was cool to to finally meet them, and uh, and just and just just hang out, yeah, just sitting back, shooting the shit, and again talking about. Fucking steaks and and why you know Florida's the 
what it is and I'm just, I, I, didn't, <laughs> I, I didn't add anything to that because I hadn't a fucking clue about any of it but yeah it was just a that was a really good day it was a good day and you know the meet and greet was kind of a shambles oh, but yeah. we had our own meet and greet which is fantastic right but uh, just for anybody else that, that went to the Primal Fear tour and went to a meet and greet there um, and you're thinking that it was you know it wasn't exactly like great there band had nothing to do with it no i'm gonna let you know that this all of those were done by local promoters and uh they organized it all that stuff so uh and the band were great at it yeah they were super about it they chatted to everybody took pictures with everybody they were as nice as you could be mm -hmm. and um like the band just really really nice guys oh yeah it's, they were. it's nice to love it's nice you know when I'm only new, relatively new to the band. You 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 like them a lot longer than me. But when you actually meet them, that they're great guys too. Because yeah. sometimes you can meet these guys and they can be complete pricks. Oh yeah, no, this was you know, and and yeah, they were you know talking about where they were going the you know the next day and uh, and and uh, even saying oh you want to you know hey we're gonna go up here you want to go up with us and of course that was gonna be a suck drive so it was, like, it was a bit of a bummer. Man. Was Magnus wasn't on the Magnus tour. Magnus wasn't on the tour. Something yeah. to do with visas. Yeah, yeah so I was bummed about that. Yeah. Because you've had him on I've, the show I've a few times. I've talked to him a lot. Yeah. And uh, that was, uh, but it was good, you know, for me also, being the gear guy, it was great to finally hear Alex's guitar live. The one that we've talked about, like, so often. Les Alex Paul? and I have, that gold top Les Paul, which is also the one that's on the, the cover of uh, the Voodoo Circle Did album. Did he use too. it for the whole set, He didn't used he? it for the whole yeah, set. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Tom changed his guitar, I think, a couple Twice. of times. Yeah. Twice, yeah. Um, I don't keep track of these things <laughs> as much as you. <laughs> um, but it was, and yeah, it was, it was weird because I, I, when I walked in and I was going to take a leak and uh, the tech was tuning up one gold top and it had P90s on it. And I came back and I'm like, hey, well, you know what? And he's like, oh, it's, you know, it's this. I'm like, yeah, P90s. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh, this is going to be, it's going to be interesting. And then he came out and he didn't use that one at all at the show. Yeah. Every time he'd, he'd like come back, I'd be like, is he using that one yet? Nope. Okay. But, uh, yeah, it was it was great. It was uh, just yeah, a good fucking day. And then of course it's the downer. You you do that, you kind of do the whole like you know, rock star thing for an entire fucking day, and then you get home and the next day you're like, yeah, mowing the lawn. Yeah, mowing the <laughs> lawn. The cutters. Where's the rain? Where's the rain? <laughs> but just briefly, I went to another show last Sunday. Um, I saw like a storm. Yeah. Um, it was an acoustic show in. Uh, and you drove through a storm. To I see drove through. Like I did. It was fucking raining <laughs> cats and dogs going, and it was on the ocean. And um, Hinder were the the headline acts, but like a storm came out and they played like forty forty five minutes. Yeah, seriously, yeah. fucking talented musicians. Uh -huh. I didn't realize how good musicians they are because, like, Matt and Kent did the the harmonies. Yeah. And uh, they did Gangster's Paradise, a cover that <laughs> had the whole place singing along, and and they were like cracking jokes. The two of them were great with the audience, yeah. you know, the, and they were just just a tremendous a tremendous live band. Yeah. And you know, I didn't get a chance to meet them this time, and I've been promised the next time it'll happen. But you know, the next time they come around and they play an electric set, I'm definitely going. They really are a good band. Yeah. Oh, so they did acoustic? Uh, the whole no, the whole thing was acoustic. Okay, whole, I knew every, Hinder was. Bands. No, all the bands. The whole were. thing. Yeah. Oh. And they were no, they were really, really good. And I'm not a really a massive acoustic set fan, but they just did it really, really well. Did he play a uh, Paul Reed Smith Angelus acoustic? I don't know. I have no clue what he <laughs> played. He played a guitar. Had six strings on it, I think. Right. And you know, they had the, it was an acoustic. They had the didgeridoo, so they, it was well, acoustic, acoustic metal didgeridoo. Oh, all right. Well. 
Um, yeah, and that isn't going to be the venue that uh, Lynch Mob is playing at either. No. They're not there. They're at that club right across the street from the strip bar. They had a flyer, and I was looking for Lynch Mob in it. It's actually the venue Glenn Hughes is playing when he's playing in he's, the, the Bull Run. That he, run. Yeah, he's yeah, Blue yeah. Ocean. Yeah, yeah, he's playing that the night after we see him. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But um, it's a really nice venue. But you're saying, this? what's this place like? Is a bit of a dump? We're seeing him in a few it, weeks. It's that, it's that uh, you know when you go around that corner and, and you got... Uh, Tens, yeah. Is the right at the end of the street on the other side? Is that is the bar? That's where he's playing. Ah, well, I don't so. care. I've never seen Lynch Mob. I've yeah, never so seen. I've never seen George Lynch play. Yeah, so that's that's where he's playing. So it won't be a Blue Ocean, but uh, might actually be better at uh, Splash. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Well, the blue the Blue Ocean has seats. Yes, and it's got like round table, round table, and I'm like, yeah. that for Lynch Mob. Nah. No, you want to stand it's, up it's for Lynch like, Mob? It's uh, like uh, the Tupelo. Yeah, same same owners. All right, so anyways, holy crap, we're like almost 20 minutes into this. Anyways, uh, this week we have uh, two guests, and uh, one is uh, Steve Conley from uh, Flotsam and Jetsam, and also I have got uh, uh, also the band Love and War on the show this week, another interview I did back in like February, finally getting getting to run it, but, uh, but good show. I think uh, we'll dive into that right now. <laughs> Uh, got a good surprise for you this evening. I have uh, Steve Conley from the one and only Flotsam and Jetsam, and uh, on the line with us right now. How are we doing tonight, Steve? I'm doing good. How are you? All right. You know, one thing I thought was really cool with you guys putting out this album is the fact that I get the letter from the PR guy that says that everybody in the band is doing interviews for this album, and because you know Flotsam and Jetsam with the number of of uh, member changes you guys have had and all that, that if you know if it was just like Eric and Mike that went out and did it all, people would be like, oh, is it really a band? But I really like the fact that all you guys are out there doing PR for this one. No, that's awesome, and we're always happy to do it too. Yeah, yeah. Just I know there's a lot of bands I talk to where it's usually one guy or another guy does it, and, and you just kind of never get a sense of whether or not it's a it's a real band thing. But especially for you guys, right. where you've had just so many different you know lineup changes and stuff. But uh, but I, I gotta right, say. Right. 
incredibly cool album. And, and I'm, you know, I was going back and I'm just reading the press release for this thing. And I was like, wow, has it really been since 2012 that, that you guys put out Ugly Noise? But uh, this one here just like it, it blew me away. I played it for my co-host and he was like, holy crap. Like, I'm hoping I can make it down for the interview. And he was really bummed that he couldn't. But definitely <laughs> this sucker just like comes at you like full barrel. And it was like nice. Just like Flotsam and Jetsam are back. Oh, man, I appreciate it. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Hopefully everybody else does, too. I hope so. I mean, I just think this whole thing really came together for you guys. And, uh, you know, I, I liked Ugly Noise, but I was like, ah, I don't know. It's just it's just not quite there. But I just think that with, you know, with everybody you got in there now between you, you know, and, and Mike and Mike and Jason and, of course, Eric, it just it sounds amazing. And I think also that. Eric, uh, that, sorry, Jason really stepped up on the drums as well. And I think it, I think that helps to just bring that whole thrash element back into it. Yeah, he did, a, he did an awesome job on the record. That's for sure. He wrote some really, really cool drum parts. Yeah, yeah, he did. I mean, there's some, like in Monkey Wrench, he has some, just some really tasty fills in there. It's like, ooh, that's, that's pretty nice. But I, I'm biased, of <laughs> course. You know, he came from a Massachusetts band and I'm calling just outside right. of Boston. So yeah, I gotta, I gotta play up the, the mass thing a bit, but, uh, he's I, a hometown boy, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you go. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. But just overall, I just thought that the, just right from the get go, the thing was, was amazing. And, uh, you know, one thing that I thought was really interesting on here was that you guys decided to throw that instrumental there, the incantation. Uh huh. Is that like, was that That's, just something uh, you were like mucking around with in, in, in a jam and said, hey, wow, this is something cooler? Uh, what was up with that? No, actually, I wrote that and, and just demoed it up. And, and the demo is what you hear on the record. It was the idea was when uh, I wrote the music to Monkey Ranch or well that's what it ended up being called i i was thinking oh you know it'd be cool to have a uh a cool like you know creepy kind of instrumental thing in the beginning of it you know so they were sort of supposed to go together hmm. but uh when we were doing the record we were like we had you know space for an extra thing and so i just threw it out there you know it was like hey you guys have any interest in sticking this on the record at the end or maybe the beginning or something because you can use stuff like that for you know, beginning of the show, we've had really good luck. Like when we play uh, Doomsday for the Deceiver, has that really cool acoustic mm. and all the melody guitar stuff at the beginning of it. Yeah. And uh, when we played that in Europe one time, the whole the first time we actually did one was in the band. We did it at the Kit Festival, and we'd never opened up with that song before, and we were all kind of shocked because the whole crowd, there's like five thousand people there, they they were all chanting the whole melody to the beginning of that. And we just kind of stood with our mouths dropped. Going, wow. Check this out. You know? So I thought uh, it might be kind of cool to have another one of those kind of things on the record, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, it is cool. I, I, I love the harmony guitars on it. It was kind of like, wow, it's kind of like a little bit of thin Lizzy, right. You know, right in floods and jets them. So just, I just was really digging that stuff. Oh, cool. Thanks. So of course, you know, for, uh, uh, you know, one guitar play to another. I'm always interested interested to find out, you know, what kind of gear that you're using, you know, what went into making this thing. So tell me a little bit about your setup. Uh, well, at the beginning, we started tracking some stuff with uh, Mike had his patented, like, triaxis boogie sound. And we, you know, he started kind of cutting some stuff with that. And, um, you know, and I had a Bogner, you know, amp that I was using. And then we we switched right when we started tracking the record. We went to trying something else, and we bought uh, the Kemper profiling amps. Oh yeah, yeah. 
And, and so I had access to a bunch of friends amps and they would bring them by my house and I would profile, you know, all these tones. And so and I would send some to Mike and, you know, if I got a cool amp and got some good sounds out of it. And so we ended up using the Kemper um, on most of the record. Nice. That's one of those pieces of gear that I'm absolutely lusting after is that thing. <laughs> it's, it's very cool. I mean, and the thing is, is, you know, normally you go, and if you're, you know, we did the record at a studio I work at, we did the drums there. And then from there, we took everything to our home studios. And Mike has a Pro Tools studio at his house, and so do I. Mm. So he would do his guitars and some of the stuff over at his place, and I would do some of the other stuff at my place. And um, it just made it real convenient. But the thing about the Kemper is, is you could be recording, you know, at four in the morning, nobody would hear you, you know? I mean, yeah. it's not, you don't, you know, you're not micing up a cabinet with a bunch of microphones and all that stuff. So yeah. it makes the convenience end of it really nice. Nice, nice. And, and I was always curious about the, with the Kemper, obviously, you know, you, you, you're going out and you're, and you're sampling these amps, you're putting those profiles in and all that. Do you really get the, like the feel of the amp as you're playing it? Like you would a tube amp where you're really working the amp as well? You know, man, it's really, really close. Mm. It, it does feel really nice to play. And in some aspects, I almost would gander it. Sometimes it sound, it may be even easier to play. Mm. Cool. So yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it, it, it really, the, the profiles come back. If you do it right, you can get them. I mean, 99.9%. <laughs> they're just so close. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah. Just ever since that thing came out, I'm just like, oh, I just want to get one of those things. It just looks amazing and you know, all the stuff it can do. But uh, yeah, that's one thing I've always wor you know, wondered about is is that just the whole amp feel and, and you know, that because a lot of people, you know, they don't understand the whole idea of, you know, the amp just isn't sitting back there. You can interact with that thing. And people that don't play don't realize how much of an instrument the amp is, too. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, if you got a bad set of tubes in your tube amp, you know, you might not be enjoying playing it very much. You know, <laughs> it, it can be real finicky, you know, so when it's when it's on fire, it's it's wonderful to play. Yeah. But, uh, you know, those things can be uh, kind of hit and miss. So the cool thing about the Kemper is, you know, it's the same every night. Yeah, yeah. That's one thing I, I like for doing like project work. Um, I, I still kind of like using the live amp. Of course, part of that's because I can't get a camper, but uh, always for bass for like, you know, for probably about the past 10 years, I've always just really liked going in and, and using plugins for bass because for some reason, it just feels like getting bass consistent day after day. It just, I can never dial that in. Guitar, eh, I seem like I can muscle through, but it, but uh, bass has always been more that plugin. But yeah, now now I want a camper even more. You know, we actually tracked the the uh, a lot of the bass stuff with the Kemper too. Mm, nice. So yeah, good stuff. Yeah, and uh, and the other thing that was kind of like interesting is the fact that you know it's it's almost thirty years for uh, for Doomsday. Like probably what July I think is like thirty years for that baby. And and here you guys right. put, are finally putting out the self titled release. And is that just something that you when you went through this you went you know what we're just going to do this one self titled or you know what was up with that. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, I think the thing with it is, is there's three new guys in the band and, um, it's sort of a new beginning, um, or a different era of Flotsam. Flotsam's mm. had some different lineup changes and, you know, they've made a lot of really cool records over the years with all the different, the different guys. You know, I hear fans all the time come up and say they love the cold record and mm. I've heard, you know, I think it's a great record and, you know, that's a different lineup than, you know, Drift, you know, so it's just, you know, there's been a lot of eras of Flotsam and this is kind of the new one. Yeah. 
So we figured, why not? We'll just, you know, just go with the self-titled, strip it down, keep it simple and to the point. Obviously, you couldn't call it Seventh Seal, so you know that that, that would. I looked at that one. Oh, that's a perfect album name, except uh, that's kind of an issue. But yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> but no, I, I just I think you know everything you talk about with it being kind of a new era. I mean, definitely when this thing. I mean, you put this thing on and you just drop the needle on. You hear Seventh Seal, and it's like, damn, these guys are are back. And you don't you don't let up through you know all twelve tracks. So I mean, just well done on this thing. You know, the thing with that is the direction is, is over the last three years. We've been to Europe like eight times now in three years. And when we go over there, a lot of promoters had asked, you know, they would ask you, hey, will you guys do a, yeah, they used to call it the Doomsday for the Deceiver set. So we would play the first two records, mostly that material. Mm. And they would, you know, they would pay you, they'd be offering more money if we would just play that stuff. And, uh, you know, you'd sit around after the shows and talk to fans at signings or merch booth or whatever, and you'd hear them talk about those first two records. Like, that's, that was their thing, and they just loved those records. And um, they were like, they just seemed to want wanted Blossom to be this metal band, and when we play that stuff, you get a definite reaction from them. So yeah. we were like, you know what? Let's, hey, let's give them what they want. 
least make a good 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 attempt at it anyway you know no i i think you know like i said jason just like piles it on with the drums and then you know all the nice fills in there and then you've got some nice open spaces where you got some good bass going as well and i think that's that's really good kind of a almost like a little nod back to uh to newstead there but you know i I love when i'm hearing that i love the fact that you guys aren't afraid to put that in you know some other bands would be going oh you know they're they're trying to do this they're trying to do that but you guys throw it in it's really tasteful it's it's just where it belongs and all that and and just between you and and mike crunching on guitars um just you know right now this is probably like the best thrash album i've heard this year all right just breaking in here for one quick second to edit myself i did this interview with steve before the new death angel album was released and that puppy has been crushing everything in its thrash laden path oh wow thank you man well, let's hope it stays that way. <laughs> well, you know, it's still, it's, that's one thing, you know, we, we talk about on the show too, is the, is always the, the bands that put out the albums, like in the first, you know, four or five months of the year, they're, they're always the ones that get dropped off of the best of list at the end of the year as well. Especially the guys are like January, February, but I think you guys are like just on the line of, you know, the other wave of stuff that comes through the summer and fall. And you're like, Oh yeah, what else is, you know, especially for us where we get so many releases, it's, it's like, Holy oh, right, crap, right. you know, but so far, like I said, you know, you're not blowing smoke at all that this is definitely the best thrash album I've heard this year. And, and, uh, wow. you know, I've been kind of listening to a few and I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's okay. But, you know, because I like a lot of different kinds of metal, but then when you hear something like this, I'm like, yeah, this is good thrash. This is, you know, and, and I'm just like, and of course, I got the digital copy, and I'm like, I can't wait till I get the physical copy, get it in the car, be able to drive and have it cranked. And then that's when you're really like, I can just, I know I'm going to feel the power of this thing. You want to, you know, it's going to be one of these like, oh yeah, speeding ticket time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It definitely kicks some butt in the car. That's for sure. I can tell you that. Nice, nice. Yeah, I'm, I am absolutely looking forward to that. That's always my litmus test: is get it in the car, crank it up. I've had some that I get the digital copy of something, and I'm like, ah, I don't know, I'm, I'm not feeling it. And then I, I put <laughs> right. it in the car, and I'm like, shit, what was I thinking? This is pretty freaking awesome. And uh, it's just something about putting it in there, you know, CD, full spectrum, all that. So you know, nice. Right, stuff. right. So are, are you guys just doing uh, the a CD release of this? Are you going to do a vinyl release of this? I thought that, uh, yeah, there. I, I was read somewhere. I can't. I don't know if it's uh, Best Buy or whoever was going to have the vinyl. Or I know that I know they're going to make vinyl pressings of it, so nice. you'll be able to get it on vinyl. Nice. Yeah, that I definitely want to hear that too. And then I think you guys are doing a, a limited box set too, right? Yeah, the label did a thing with, uh, it's like a box and it has like this flag thing in there and some, some stuff, you know, for, yeah. for, you know, the, the real fans that want to have all that stuff and like to, you know, like to have, yeah, yeah. have those kind of items. Yeah. And, it, and it's good to see that you guys, you know, landed on AFM as well. Cause you know, you talk about the label and, and, uh, I, I, obviously we have a lot of bands on the show from AFM and, uh, but they, I mean, they're one of those labels out there now that's still like really promoting stuff and they do that stuff like the box set although usually the things sell out in like two days by the time i go on the site it's like they're gone but uh i I was glad to see you guys fall on afm so you could really get you know the international push for this thing yeah we were were excited to to be working with them because they you know when they came to the table they seemed like they genuinely wanted to have the band on their label and they were genuine fans of the band and they they had you know to some labels i mean to be honest with you're going to figure okay 
Flotsam Jetsam will sell X amount of records, so we'll give them X amount of dollars, and their fans, diehard fans, are just going to buy their records, and if we think we can make a few bucks, we don't have to do anything. Yeah. And, you know, these guys already have been working it, and, and you see, you can kind of see that they're they're really passionate about pushing the product and everything, which makes us excited because, you know, if you're going to put a record out, you want your label to, you know, feel like they're out there beating the pavement for you, you know? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and they seem to be doing that, so it's awesome. Yeah, and it's good, you know, like I said, that it's a one-stop shop for international. You're not stuck with a U.S. label and a European label. They're going to cover all of it as well, so everybody gets the same message, and that's uh, that's definitely cool, too. Right, right. Yeah. So, uh, you know, uh, one other thing I thought that was really cool on this is that the artwork on it is just this one of those things where you just you I, I love artwork that you can't stop looking at. And you it's like, yeah, you know, the skull. And I mean, it's it's just one of those cool, uh, cool pieces of art. Yeah, he's uh, that guy did a good job, man. That's for sure. And he uh, there's going to be a new lyric video that's going to pop here in the next couple of days. Nice. And um, he did. He did our lyric videos, too. Yeah, I think it's Andy Pinkerton or whatever his name. Like, don't quote me on that. I got to look that up. It was kind of a Michael Spencer knew the guy, met him through uh, through the internet, and he did a great job on all of our stuff. But nice. um, so yeah, but uh, he's done a great job on these videos too. The next one looks really cool. Awesome, awesome. So you you know you talked before about you know the promoters and stuff want you guys to to do you know like the first two albums and stuff like that. Now uh, obviously you're going to go out and tour the hell out of this one. You're going to be playing most of the album, just a few songs off of it. You guys figured it out yet? Um, you know, um, you know that's a tough one. When you go see um, a band like Iron Maiden or somebody like that or Metallica, they have a new record out. They generally the fans. You know, you got to kind of work a couple new songs in the first time around the track and then see if you can get away with playing, you know, a few more. Because yeah. they, the fan reaction is always weird. It shows when they, they hear something that they don't know, you know, is always tough because they kind of sit there and go, huh? You know, so it's, uh, you know, we, we're definitely going to play some stuff off the new record, but it depends on what tour it is. You know, if we're opening up for somebody and we're only playing 45 minutes, well, a lot of Flotsam songs are like six or seven minutes long. So yeah. that limits your, you know, what you're going to be able to give the fans. And they definitely want to hear the staples, like No Place for Disgrace and I Live You Die and Hammerhead. And so, you know, you got to play and give them what they want to. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree. I just think, you know, you talk about fans kind of sitting there like with, whoa, but like the tracks on this, I mean, they just, they just hit you square in the face. And I mean, if you're a metal fan, I mean, any one of these tracks you hear, you should be able to get your head moving and you and, and into it. So it's, uh, I think any of these are pretty much a safe bet. Right. Well, we'll, we shall see here soon enough. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> and it's also, it's amazing that uh, how much of, of uh, good shape that Eric's voice is, you know, 30 years on that he's still able to produce like this. <laughs>
Uh, yeah, I kind of, after listening to the record, I, I start to think that he sounds better now than he used to. Yeah, yeah. yeah um, definitely his voice some... as he's gotten older has kind of gotten lower. I mm-hmm. mean, if you compare it to like, you know, like most grown men, um, you know, like Jeff Tate, listen to him now, he's, he's got a lower voice than he did like on The Warning, you yeah, know? So, I, I, can't, I can't even listen uh, to him anymore. yeah i just think it's a you know as an aging male you know your voice is going to drop so but eric man he's he's still even with his voice being a little bit lower he still can hit a lot of those notes and and i think his tone is still great so oh yeah no it's 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 amazing and and it's actually there's there's one or two songs on here too that he's he actually sounds uh a little bit like headfield yeah, well, really? I, I didn't. I didn't catch that. But, yeah, uh, it was. There was. I uh, yeah. like. Uh, I think it was like uh, Forbidden Territories was when I was like, wow, that kind of sounds like a, a little bit of Hetfield kind of thing in there. And I think part of it is the that maybe some of the phrasing and the, and the little bit of growl in his voice. But uh, oh yeah, 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 I could see that. Yeah, it was, it was yeah, definitely. Yeah, but uh, just still amazing. He put it on, and I'm like, holy shit, the guy still got it. Like, which is which is <laughs> nice. Yeah, he is. He is the 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 backbone of the band. You know, yeah. without AK, there is no flotsam, and he definitely brought his A game to this record. That's for sure. Yeah, and um, you know, obviously, you you hooked up with Chris Collier on this one to produce it and stuff. And uh, so, how was it working with Chris? Well, Chris didn't actually produce the record at all. He just mixed it. So, like I said earlier, we we did all the recording and, okay. and all the policing of the tracks, and then. When we were done with the record, we didn't know what we were going to do about mixing it, and we sent out some test mixes. And uh, I had seen that he had done uh, did Metal Church's record mm-hmm. and a couple other records. That one that I had in my car, I think it was like a Lynch Mob record or something. Yeah, you know. And I went, "Wow, that's a good sound of record." And I figured out it was him. And I had said something to Michael Spencer about, "Hey, this guy does really good work," you know. And so he reached out to him, and we had like five or six guys that sent us in test uh, test mixes. Hmm. And we all just kind of decided that his was definitely the guy for the job. So, yeah, he did a great job, and especially, I mean, it's got to be um, a challenge, really, too, of of mixing you guys because you know where Eric's voice is, where your guitars are. There's there's some competition in there for Sonic Space, but he made it all work really nice. Yeah, he's he's an excellent mixer for sure. Yeah, uh, he yeah. Did, a, did a killer job on the record. Yeah, yeah. Now, you know, when you guys, um, you know, were, were writing all this, was it mostly, um, you know, you guys coming in individually with ideas and then jamming it out, or was it pretty much, you know, all you guys together really just hashing it out, or, or uh, you know, kind of what was the the general idea behind writing it? Um, well, Michael Spencer had a couple songs. He had a handful of songs from 1987 that never made uh, No Place for Disgrace. Hmm. So he had dug those up and was like, you know, I want to redo these songs and, and, you know, fans will dig it because it's, you know, songs from that era. So he brought those in and those were songs were pretty much written already and uh, musically. And then Mike Gilbert demoed his, his ideas and I demoed mine, you know, without the vocals, of course. And, hmm. We put them all in a pile. We all learned each other's songs and we went down to the jam room and we, we would play through these ideas and just see what they kind of felt like to really play them. Mm. And then from there, uh, if we had any suggestions on anybody's tunes about, you know, a tweak or, you know, messing with an idea or something, you know, we'd throw a little input in here and there and then we just kind of would move on because at the time AK hadn't really put anything down. He would listen to the tunes. Mm. Right. And uh, we had 18 songs. That we all wrote. Um, 
and we just kind of sat down and picked musically and which ones AK was feeling and, you know, which ones we thought musically had strong possibilities to be really cool songs. And, you know, we jumped in there and, and uh, at the end we did 12 of them. Wow. So it kind of gives you a little bit of a different flavor because they're kind of coming from, you know, three different perspectives musically. Yeah. Yeah. But yet they all, it, it really has a, you know, it's all sounds very cohesive and, uh, and, you know, going back and, and kind of thinking about what you just said and how it all came together, it's like, wow, it's just, it's just it, it sounds more like, a, you know, a, a 12 songs that everybody just was like in on right at the beginning. It just it's so obviously there's a there's a good band chemistry here where everything can mesh really well with with influences and ideas and everything, because it, it doesn't right. sound like 12 disparate tracks by any means. <laughs> right. Well, one of the things we would do is like. I would send Mike my tracks and he would send me his and he'd be like, Hey, um, you want to play some guitar on this tune and throw, uh, you know, I need another solo here. I need some overdub stuff. If you hear anything, just throw it on there, you know, better have too much on a track than not enough that we can weed through it later. Yeah. And I would tell him the same. I would send him tracks and go, Hey, I got some spots open that need some more stuff on here. You want to, you know, put your thing on here and, you know, play a solo at the end of the tune or do the second half in the middle, you know, or whatever. So we would just split stuff up like that. And by the time it was done, you know, we all kind of had that mix going on. Yeah. Yeah. So of course, every, you know, everyone listening is going to have the same question, which is what's the Flotsam and Jetsam tour outlook? Well, we have uh, right now we're working on something possibly in July in the States nice. and August, we have uh, like a week and a week and a half in uh, Spain mm. and, and some places, Netherlands and stuff like that, some festivals. And then we're home for like maybe three weeks and we're going to go back and do a four band tour with uh, destruction hmm. through Europe for a month. Wow. And, uh, and then we might stay a little bit longer than that and do some other markets that we missed on our own. Oh, so yeah, you'll so have a busy be rest of the September. year. <laughs> yeah, it's about to get busy. So that's going to be good. <laughs> awesome. Well, hopefully the tour will, uh, will make its way somewhere around Boston so we can come check you guys out. I definitely want to have a chance to hear this lineup live. Yeah, I'm hoping we get there too. So yeah, yeah. If not, if not this year, it'll it'll be coming soon. So yeah, awesome. And uh, of course, you know, like I tell everybody that comes on, you know, everybody has to do social media and everything to find out where everybody's doing and how to get a hold of them. So uh, as far as things online, what's the best places for people to go online to hook up with the band? Um, well, there's the, the official flotsamandjetsam dot com mm -hmm. site, and um, and we're on Facebook as well. So you can, you know, um, you do the, the uh, Flotsam and Jetsam page. I'm trying to think of what the thing is here. Oh, here it is. Hold on. Um, it's uh, Facebook, Flotsam and Jetsam dot official, you know, page dot com. So yeah. you can, you know, find us on Facebook. I think there's, there's a Twitter too and all that stuff. So cool. We are certainly easy to find if you do a search. So it's you know great to have you on. Talk about the album. I uh, was psyched all day, uh, and uh, I know when I had said uh, told my co-host, yeah, we got someone coming on from Plotsman Jets on Friday night. He's like, well, well, who is it? Who is it? I'm like, uh, I don't care. The album's freaking great. I just want to talk to somebody about it. And he's like, well, right. you know, he's like, really? I'm like, yeah, I really don't care. I just want to talk to somebody because the thing's killer. And I want to be able to to get the word out. And whenever we have a band on and the member talks about it, it just it carries more weight than me babbling about it. So, uh, you know, always good to have the right. band on. And, uh, you know, congratulations on on again, killer 12 tracks of, of great thrash. Hope you guys come by. And uh, I'm also hoping that it isn't going to be uh, another uh 
what three or four years until the until the next of Flotsam and Jetsam release hits us. Yeah, well, we hope that too. So. <laughs> <laughs> cool. All right, Steve. Again, thanks for calling. I appreciate it. Enjoy the rest of your Friday night, and uh, hopefully, talk to you soon, man. Great. Thanks for having me. Buddy. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. And that was my chat with Steve Conley from Flotsam and Jetsam. And, of course, if you haven't picked up the new self-titled one, you have to go do that. Although it's currently not my top thrash album for the year, it's right down there in spot number two. But Death Angel, as I said earlier, just trounced everybody on this one. Up next is my talk with John Adams from Love and War. Yeah, this is John Adams with Love and War, and you're listening to Focus on Metal. Rock on. Band out of Houston, Texas. I did this interview back in February when I did a whole bunch of different interviews together. The whole thing I was going to do was do a whole Texas metal series, and uh, that just kind of fell apart, and a lot of audio got jumbled around and all that, and now I'm just kind of picking up the pieces. So this week, I finally get to present my interview with John Adams of Love and War. Have these guys on the online metal promotions compilation, one of my featured tracks. Really like these guys, so I'm very happy to be uh, bringing this interview to you finally. <laughs> Where are you out of, man? Um, just outside of Boston. Oh, nice. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah, in fact, it's funny. I was talking to some friends of yours last night. I was talking to Trey and all the guys in uh, Asriel's Bane, and that yes. was the first question they asked me, too. It was like, dude, where are you calling from? Yeah, um, you know, I guess you know where Webster is, right? Yes. Yeah, there, man, there's a cemetery there that's badass. It's up on a hill. Uh-huh. That's the closest I've ever been to Boston. I, I went up there. My brother lives in Philadelphia, okay. and uh, one of my close friends... Uh, has family in Webster, and we went up there, and, you know, it was one of the things we did at night as we, we kind of went up through the cemetery and, you know, scoped it out. It was actually a beautiful country up there. We never made it into Boston, but it's as close as we got. There you go. Yeah. Glad you called in. Like I said, I it, it seems to be like I'm on a roll with bands and anything related to Texas. Uh, I was talking to the dude that runs uh, Texas Metal Underground last week and obviously uh-huh. talking to Trey and the guys last night and talking to you and it's like, geez, I'm just on a Texas roll, which is which is very cool. It is very cool. There's there's a lot of great music happening, happening down here. Uh, I mean, of course, you know, Austin, Texas is, is, you know, the music mecca for the Southwest down here. And, uh, you know, Houston isn't doing so bad. Uh, not quite as good as Austin, but there's some really, there's some good hard rock metal bands, uh, in, in the series. So, uh, you know, you know, Azure Spain is one really good one. And of course, you, you know, we have our band love and war and now we're, we're two of the really more popular. There's some, there's some other really cool bands. Uh, have you ever heard of a guitar player, um, in a band called, um, uh, day of reckoning, rusty Cooley. Oh yeah. 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 He, his, he's an amazing, you know, he's one of the top five fastest shredders in the world, I guess you could say, but, yeah. uh, and is awesome, and uh, you know, there's there's a there's a lot of great bands down here. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely, and uh, and and I'm just really happy to to be able to talk to you guys and just let the word out about all this great music that is out there, and let people start discovering um, what's kind of for a lot of the world anyways because you know we're played all over the world but for a lot of the world kind of a a hidden really cool musical happening that's going on so it's very cool to talk to you guys yeah absolutely and uh, we do appreciate you for uh, for having us and uh, helping spread our music yeah obviously you guys but in november you put out your debut um no actually um up the ante our debut record was actually recorded in back uh and we put it out a few years back okay basically what happened with that is we kind of stalled out on it for a while and uh we actually just recently finally got our shit together and and started promoting it because really all we were doing you know was was doing regional 
dates and stuff down here in the Texas area. And, uh, you know, we never really put our CD out or anything or did try to do really any kind of promotion. And, uh, finally, uh, you know, we've, we've been writing our, our, our next record now, you know, for quite a few months. And, uh, we've hooked up with Benjamin from online, uh, metal promotion mm-hmm. promo. And, uh, he, he has been wonderful for us and he's helping us out and helping us, helping us promote the band and, and get our music out there. And, you know, so we're we're real excited, and uh, you know, we've been writing new new material for our new record, which uh, we're going to be recording here in a couple months, and we're and the plan is to have it out by uh, you know at least beginning to mid summer. Awesome, awesome. So definitely, you know, when you guys are ready to put that out, I I really want to have you guys come back on so that uh, we can really promote that. And I'm sure Ben's going to hit me up on that too because he's definitely going to be one of the hardest working PR guys in the business and he's always pushing and pushing, but uh, yeah, I'd love to have you guys come back on so we can let people know about that. Absolutely. Yeah. We will keep in touch. Awesome. You know, one of the things I I like is, uh, you know, I listen to some of your tracks and, and for me anyways, being a Boston guy, I hear some, some like Aerosmith, like early rocks kind of era Aerosmith in that whole mix of what you do. Well, you know, there's no surprise there because, uh, you know, as a young, fledgling, young guitar player, if you will, uh, I was a huge, huge Aerosmith fan. Joe Perry, I mean, one of my first influences was Michael Shanker, and probably, you know, Joe Perry may have been the next guy that I really got into and, you know, and always was into, and I'm still a huge Aerosmith fan, Mm -hmm. always will be. Um, Joe Perry, you know, really... You know, I really keyed on in on his style and everything, and yeah, you know, I really like how he he can be boozy at times, and uh, you know, and still be heavy, and, and you know, and catch everything in between as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely for me too as a guitar player, um, huge mm-hmm. influence. In fact, I talked to him, I think about two years ago, and I had to confess to him he was so much of an influence that where most guitarists will tap their foot to do the beat that like uh-huh. him i tap my heel instead and he was he was laughing at me about that but he's just yeah he for me especially being from boston but you know growing uh-huh. up and getting all those albums and stuff he was a huge influence on me oh absolutely i mean <clears throat> i remember seeing them uh i think the first time i saw them was 76 or 77 and uh you know i think at the time it was right around that Toys in the Attic Rocks era, you know, kind of. And I probably saw him, you know, every tour after that, even, you know, after Joe Perry left. And, you know, saw a, a few pretty horrible Aerosmith shows. <laughs> uh, you know, but uh, uh, other than that, you know, that it's, it's just amazing. I mean, they they are, a, 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 you know, a, an American, you know, treasure, you know, and they're still going strong. And, uh, yeah, I just saw them recently. Well, I say recently, it was probably about four or five months ago in, in Vegas, we went down there just to see their their show, and uh, you know they were they were just fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Except they are they're pretty cool, and and you do end up, especially around here, you do end up just ac- accidentally running into them, or when one of my daughters call and be like, uh, and when she was working at one of the arenas, and they were doing some, it was I think Guy Fieri was there doing something, and she called up and she's like. Yeah, there's one of the dudes. From, I swear to God, he's from Aerosmith. Like, who's the dude with the long blonde hair? And and uh, so she had gotten me uh, an, an autograph from him. And then I I bumped into to Joey Kramer in Boston a couple times. And and it just yeah, they they seem to be around. I've even had a buddy of mine who they when whenever they're going up to either Joe or or Steve is going up to Sunapee. There's a certain restaurant on the way up. They like to stop in. Yeah, I've had like one of my friends be like, yeah, yeah, shit, they're sitting like on the table across from me. Like, I've got Joe Perry and his family here. It's like, oh, very cool. You run into him all the time. Doesn't um, doesn't Stephen Tyler have a place in Sunapee? He does. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. 
So they are they are around. And actually, I used to work with a guy who uh, he essentially like shared a driveway with Steven Tyler. That he was, and he, was, he was there for like I think for like five years before he realized who lived at the end of the long driveway. So it was like this big ass long driveway, and his house was at the beginning of it, and. He never knew who lived at the end of it till about five years later. He's like, yeah, I just f- figured it out. Stephen Tyler's at the end of that driveway. I'm like, oh, that's pretty messed up, but yeah. Can <laughs> <laughs> uh, you imagine you missed five years of trying maybe to get reach your hand out and say, hey, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. True. Yeah, exactly. Oh, but, uh, you know, I, yeah, definitely that was one thing, I, you know, listening to your music, that was like, holy crap. I just, I, I hear that. But then with this whole other and you know when I was talking to uh, to Trey and the guys last night, I so said one of the interesting things about their music to me was that almost every band I've talked to from Texas, there's a certain I don't know Texas element that's in the music. Yeah, I really couldn't hear it in theirs, and that intrigued me. And your music intrigued me because I heard that I heard like Aerosmith and Texas all in the same same kind of tunes, and that was very cool. Yeah, you know what? It's really bizarre that you said that because there, there is kind of a certain flavor, you know, around here. And, uh, you know, in our music, you know, you're going to hear just a little bit of all of our influences growing up, you know, especially me as a guitar player. I, I write all the music and, you know, probably more than 50% of the lyrics as well. And, you know, I, I always, you know, each song, you'll probably hear a little bit of everything, you know, I mean, I, I don't, fancy myself as being, you know, some, you know, modern age guitar player that's going to, you know, start some kind of a new sound or anything. Everything I have is, is just basically of everything I grew up with. And uh, so you'll hear some influence. There's a few songs. You'll, you know, I'm a huge Michael Shanko fan. I actually have a, uh, a UFO tribute band called Lights Out, and we've been playing about 13 years all around the Southwest. So Shanker's big with me. And there's a few songs you'll hear a little bit of Shanker. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, there's, there's some mixed influence in there. But as far as that Texas sound, man, you know, that's, that's just something I guess uh, you inherit, just playing around here and, and, and being around all the, all the bands and growing up around here. Uh, but, you know, it's weird you say that because I have heard that before. Mm, yeah. Now, the, the Shanker thing's interesting. And, you know, I've been a huge Shanker fan for a long time. And, and you know, in, in the five years of doing this show, and also playing music and playing clubs and all that, you know, I get pretty used to talking to famous musicians and all that. But the one musician that I just I fanboyed out on and, and everyone heard it in the interview, I just totally fanboyed out was talking to Shanker. Not last week, though. That was three years ago. Last week, I was back in the game. No fanboy this time with Shanker. I got like his last interview two tours ago. They they let me have that last interview spot and you know you're talking to shanker you're like holy shit but he's he's just this really unique guitar player and around here you could really tell there was like a whole class of us musicians that were into shanker and then there was all these other people who had no idea who ufo was no idea who shanker was and it was just really bizarre that that the amount of us that were that were really into that was just this small little group of people now was that the same thing for you guys or was that more or less like Everybody knew who UFO was. No, it's the same thing, and, and it's really kind of a shame that they uh, they really have a uh, a small like underground following. They, you know, the, the sad thing about it is they never really hit that mainstream uh, you know audience. It's sad, but but it's true. <laughs>
same thing down here. I mean, you're gonna you're gonna have that group of people who are just your Shanker fanatics or UFO freaks, and uh, but overall, I mean, you know, they're they're not gonna be lining down the street, which is which is a shame. Mm, yeah, it just it it was just like this thing where you would if you knew that and you and you realize, oh man, you're into Shanker. That was like a musician you knew. Okay, maybe I could be in a band with this guy. And, and I remember one band that uh, that basically formed just around the fact that we were all Shanker heads. And, uh, <laughs> uh, obviously, of course, a, a lot of what got written in that band was very, you know, UFO-like. Uh, yeah. So maybe, maybe not such a good thing to put just a whole bunch of Shanker maniacs in one band. But yeah, it was just really bizarre because the guy is—he's such an amazing guitar player and, and really a unique guy too. That uh, more people wouldn't be into it. Yeah, I know because the thing about him is—is is when you hear him play guitar, you know it's him. And you know, and there's there's really you know. A, a, a great, uh, you know, echelon, if you will, of guitar players that are like that, that are so unique that, you know, kind of like vocalists as well, when they sing or like when this guitar player starts to play, you know who it is, you know what I mean? He's one of those guys and his, his sound, you know, is very true to him and, and, and just the way he plays. And, uh, you know, he, he always, you know, a real quick story in 1975, I have two older brothers and my middle brother, Joe, was playing the Fawcett record, which actually had just come out in 1975. And he was playing it, and I just sat there in the room, and, you know, I think we smoked a joint or something. I don't know. <laughs> but long story short, uh, he was playing that record, and I was, like, so enthralled with his guitar, his guitar playing. I was just like, holy shit. So I had a friend of mine that played guitar, and he had a couple older brothers, and they used to all sit around and play guitar while I was living in Richmond, Virginia at the time. And... Uh, I went over there and I said, hey, I want to learn how to play guitar. And, you know, and I, and I, like, I kept playing that Forsyth record thinking, man, I want to play guitar like that guy. So really, you know, Michael Shanker was one of my really big first influences for me to pick up the guitar. So oh, it was pretty cool. That is definitely cool. I don't hear that that often that, you know, it's kind of like that's that root influence thing, you know. But that's, yeah, I mean, it's a good place to start off. The other weird thing about Shanker, too, and it, and I, I've only heard it with two other, you know, one other guitarist, really, and they're, and it's both kind of related is that both him and Uli John Roth kind of have this whole spiritual approach to the music and what they're doing and all of that. And they both kind of talk in that same kind of reverence for, for the music. And I don't hear that from anybody else. And it's bizarre they were both in the Scorpions. Yeah, I know. And they're both from Germany as well. And, mm -hmm. you know, that's right because they're both very spiritual people. And, uh, you know, anything that you've read from them, I'm sure you have in the past, you, you, you know that uh, they are in... Uh, it's really kind of bizarre, you know. It is. It is rare as well that they both share the same band, and they're both from the same country. But yeah, uh, yeah I mean, as far as guitar players, they do bring that into their music, and you know, maybe that's 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 half of uh, you know of, of where uh, you know some of some of the music speaks from them is is because of uh, their spirituality. Yeah, going back to your first album there, the debut online. I've I've been looking around a little bit, and, and is there any place you can actually? get a physical copy of up the ante well it's about to be it's about to be released on amazon cd baby um probably within the next two to three weeks um yeah i have i have boxes and boxes of them in my garage <laughs> <laughs> so i mean to tell you what you, you got my you, you were tied to my email email me man yeah. Scott, and i'll send send me the, your size of your t-shirt okay. and i'll send you some cds you can maybe hand out some listeners or some of your friends locally, awesome. and uh, I'll, I'll slip you a couple of T-shirts as well. Okay, cool. Cool. Because, yeah, when, when I first heard you guys, and I'm going up, and, you know, the first thing I'm finding is I'm finding that band from New York, and I'm going, no, 
this is not the band I'm looking for. <laughs> it's like not even freaking close. And then, uh, and I'm like, damn it, where do I get this CD? But then I was psyched when, when Ben said, hey, you guys, you know, you want to talk to Love and War? I was like, hell yeah. And it was like, for one reason, I want to find out where to get the music from. Yeah, I know what you can do. I mean, if you're ever, if you ever playing on the music or whenever you do the interview, and if anybody hears this as well, you can go to uh, our Facebook page, Love and War. Mm-hmm. Just leave a message and say, hey, I'm interested in buying a copy. Uh, and I'll, or, or you just want a copy, I'll just, I'll mail you a copy. Just, just send this, leave a private message on the site, leave me your address or whatever, and I'll make sure you get a copy. Yeah. And I got to tell you guys that, you know, I know I played a cut when I did the online metal promotion special. It's good stuff. Everything that I've heard from these guys. So definitely well worth it. Is the new album, obviously you've had you know some time since that last one, so you know you hear other things and things change, but are you pretty much in the same vein for the next one? That's what everybody asks, and it, absolutely. I think, uh, I think the new one is going to be just like Up the Ante, except, uh, uh, you know, I don't know, it's, it's really weird for me. I think that songs have matured. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I'm, I'm really, really, all, the, all of us in Love of War are very excited about the music we're writing, and the thing about it is, is... Uh, you know, I just keep coming up with new ideas. I mean, we have like about 10 or 11 songs. And I mean, I just wrote a couple of new ones uh, in the last week. And, and I'm really stoked about. So I think by the time, you know, we got, we're going to be really busy here in the next month or so. I mean, if we weren't, we weren't as busy as we're going to be, I have a feeling I'll probably be able to kick out another three or four songs. But in the meantime, I'll, you know, I'm going to keep trying to, to kick some out and have a, a good choice of songs to choose from. But uh, right now, I mean, the last 10 or 11 songs we wrote are just badass, and we're really excited. I think everybody's really going to dig it. Nice, nice, yeah. And when you play with Dangerous Toys, uh, let the master disaster know that Scott from Focus on Metal said hi. I had a, few, I a great conversation will. with him a few months back. Great dude. Yeah, Jason's awesome, man. Yeah, he's another one of our Texas treasures, man. He's, he is. 
a great guy. Amazing. So, you know, I, I asked Trey and the guys last night, and I'll ask you the same question. With the advances in being able to do things at home, being able to do pre-production, flesh out songwriting and all that, has that helped you a lot? Or do you do you use a lot of uh you know, different, you know, computer digital audio stuff to, to help you with uh, songwriting? I don't actually know, man. I, I am I am pretty much old school myself. I, I have a, uh, a Tascam, you know, it's a, an 8-track. Uh-huh. So I, I do everything on my 8-track. I don't use, you know, now for instance, my son, you know, you know, he, he is just all over that. He does everything in his computer. And he's, he's, he's actually a hell of a bass player, man. A guy, I mean, I taught the first bass player I, he ever heard of was Steve Harris. So it was, so it was kind of like the Michael Shanker thing for me, you know, yeah. and he, that guy is, is amazing, but he, he uses, he uses that to his, his advantage. Me, I'm a little bit more old school, so I don't, and I know I, I do have guitar player friends that they share files and stuff, you know, yeah. and, uh, you know, I, I have not actually hooked into that yet. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I just, I'm always curious. I do a lot of stuff old school with what I do. So if someone asked me to do, Hey, can you throw a bass down on my project or can you throw a guitar and, and they, they get it back and they're like, Hey, you, you did all this in one track. I'm like, well, yeah, I'm used to doing tape. So I don't do little bits. I do the the whole thing, but I do the same thing here in my studio where I've got, you know, a lot of stuff that's on the computer, but then I've also got racks of, of analog gear as well. Cause I, I can't get away from it, but I like the fact of being able to, uh, you know, have someone come in and do a straight recording off the amp, but then also take a clean track and be able to, to reamp for them and stuff like that. And, you know, take advantage of a lot of the stuff that usually costs you a crap load at a regular studio. Yeah, I know. And you know, and that's one of the beauties of, of about the way technology has been, you know, is, what used to cost an arm and a leg, a lot of people are doing, doing at home and, and, uh, or, you know, like even, even like pro tools, I mean, it is amazing, you know, I mean, you can, you can cut and so like before they would cut and paste, you know, tape and stuff. And now, man, you just, you just go in and you can, you can record a, a rhythm track and take that small track and just put it anywhere you want. And just, you know what I mean? It just, it just amazes me that, uh, how things are uh, have changed. <laughs> yeah, I'll I'll tell you. I don't know. I I like being able to sit down and and I'm not watching the clock. And if if I fuck up, it's like, all right, I fucked up. No problem. It's my own time. I can redo it. And it's I don't know. It just it's a lot less pressure and and even a lot less fun. When, you know, you know, it's it's a lot more fun to have people to come over and and just be like, yeah, relax, don't worry about it. And and plus the fact I've got like all my guitars and shit here too. So it's it's easy to I, you know change shit up if you want to. Yeah. Absolutely, and unfortunately, where we're going to be recording our next record is it's just one of those things where yeah, we are going to pay for it. And uh, I wish I wish I knew somebody that had a great home studio that uh, would go and you know and, and be real patient with us and allow us you know that kind of uh, you know room to yeah you know make mistakes, not have to worry about it. But you know, but there will be a little bit of pressure there. But again, that's for us. You know, that's what the whole pre-production is. Is uh, you know, going in there, you know, making sure everybody's parts are down and then just go in there and just record live in the studio and then just do, do our overdubs and, and get it, get it done. You know? Yeah. I don't know. Just for me, it was always that, you know, that studio pressure. We did, you know, have a little break because the guy whose studio we used to use when we were, you know, recording the tape, uh, you know, good friend of ours. And I would do a lot of, and myself and my drummer would do a lot of tech work for his band. So when they played live, you know, I do guitar and bass tech. My drummer would be a drum tech. And so we kind of, with that, he gave us a good raid on, on the studio. So it was like, thank God. Otherwise, it, yeah, it just would have been like insanely expensive for everything we did. Yeah. And, you know, me and Trey Gadler and um, Brent uh, Marches, that's in uh, Astral Spain, mm. we 
actually have a band together called Dead Man's Hand, and it's kind of like a southern rock band. And we have a friend of ours, Bill Workerson, that that owns a, his own home studio. So Trey goes in there and helps him build it and everything, and uh, he you know built some extra soundproofing and some and some extra rooms for his drum room. And uh, he basically just gave us this killer deal. And so we we've been in there recording some tracks for Dead Man's Hand, and uh, you know we we thought about going in there and doing Love and War in there, but uh, we wanted to go with the guy that recorded the Up the Annie. He's actually in Missouri, and uh, we're hoping it's all gonna all gonna work out, and we, you know, we're we're gonna be able to get up there and, and make some make it make some quick, uh, you know, quick work of it. Yeah. Well, now I'm now I'm kind of thinking in my mind, knowing how I was talking to Brent last night about you know the prog influences and, and knowing how he plays and stuff, and I'm trying to picture in my mind Brent <laughs> doing Southern rock bass, and it's just like it's not fitting in my skull. Well, you know, the thing about that is is uh, I think originally he wanted to be in the band because it, me and Trey were in the band, and uh, you know he actually he actually does does really good. You know you'd be surprised. You know every once in a while, you know he'll 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 get aggressive with his playing and everything, and we'll just kind of shoot him a quick eyeball, you know, and he'll laugh. But um, yeah, it's a little bit different for him. I think it comes a little bit easier for me and Trey um, because you know we have played different kinds of styles and everything, but. Uh, you know, Brent March is 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 a is a metal guy, man, and he's really good at it. And, yeah, uh, yeah. It's just because it, it just reminds me that the last bass player that that we had had in my original band, the guy was mind blowingly phenomenal. And one of these guys that's probably you know like Brent that he's a bass player. Like when I played bass, I, I was like a guitar player playing bass. But you know, this is a guy who loved bass, and we do like sound check, and the other bands would hear him just start and and just be like, holy shit, it's over. And but the thing was is that we if I was gonna play something very simple that just required look, just give me a Cliff Williams, just hammer on, you know, on the eighth note and don't do anything else type of thing, he couldn't do it. Cause like three bars in, he'd have to throw some massive John Myung thing and be like, dude, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, you know, you can tell you know, there's a lot of guitar players that have gone to play bass and you know, when you see a bass player play with a band you know, if he's sitting up there with a pick and he's and he's he's picking his way through it, you know that's there's a big difference between a guy like that and a guy who's got a, a crazy right hand like a Billy Sheehan or you know even you know Geddy Lee or uh, Steve Harris or somebody. I mean, you know those guys are real bass players, man. And they and not you know no nothing disrespectful about bass players who use a pick or anything. I'm just saying, you know, those guys are more aggressive. You yeah. Know? Yeah, that's and that's a weird thing. And I've talked to some other bass players about this, and they laugh at me. But I play guitar. I can use a pick. I can play all day long. I don't think about it. And then I pick up my bass, and I can't use a pick. I just cannot play a bass with a pick. It's like I start with my fingers, and no matter how much I try, I just can't play bass with a pick. And it's like this is just ridiculous. Like I can pick up the guitar right next to it and be like, yeah, no problem. I'm I'm there. It's just it's messed up. Well, you know, I'm this. I mean, that's weird. I'm the exact same way, Scott. Because I, I own about four or five basses, and uh, you know, and I'm, whenever I write music, I always throw a you know a bass track down as well. But I always use my right hand. I cannot pick up a pick, you know. Yeah. I, and I do if I have to, but you know, nine times out of ten, I pick up the bass, man. I'm I'm going right hand at it, you know. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just, I don't know, it's messed up. So even when I've had to do cover songs where you know that original part was done with, with a pick to get the speed, I, I can't do it. I just like, I'm going to suck it up. I'm going to do it with my fingers. But uh, So, yeah. you know, what kind of gear are you using? It, to me, it sounds like you use a lot more old school gear on your on your music. Well, 
Um, I'm actually kind of uh, endorsed by a company out of Houston called uh, Diamond Amps. Oh, yeah. We were talking about them last night. My joke was, because I get the emails when they do sales and stuff, it seems uh-huh. like whenever they send me an email, I've got no cash. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When I, I actually uh, used a Phantom Amp on that up the ante with uh, with one of their cabinets, mm. and uh, now I actually, God, I got a ton of gear now, but... Uh, right now, I'm using two Phantom heads with two two diamond cabinets. They're, they're stock with selection speakers. Okay. I, I run them. I run through. Uh, it, it's a it's a Roland SDE 2000. It's kind of an old school delay, and I split the signal. You know, a little bit of modulation and, and, a, and a tiny bit of slap back for uh, for a stereo sound. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't use a whole lot of that in the studio. I just used a half stack, but then but, but we did overdubs, you know, and, and then split and then split them left to right to give it more of a stereo sound. But but yeah, that, that's what I'm using right now is 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 all the diamond gear. I mean, that's good stuff too. I, I'm I'm just kind of surprised that you know it hasn't gotten bigger, and that's what I was telling the other guys too. Was you know. I just wish that the word would get out more about Diamond and people would, would discover their stuff. And, and maybe that's where I'm hearing it in your sound, too, is, you know, it's based on all the old stuff that works and then they put on top of that. You know, we, we know that's, that the Celestians, they just work. It's like, why mess with it? And, and so things like that, where you get that good foundation and then they've just gone, all right, now we'll do that, but we'll just kind of move it forward a little bit. That's how I always think of the Diamond stuff. Yeah, it's exactly like that because, you know, it, it's it's... You know they they have a different kind of like they have a Hammersmith amp that it has like a bridge a bridge style Marshall tone, mm. and they it's like they just added to it you know and then of course the uh, the, the Phantom is is a lot more of a heavier uh, I don't really know what to to compare it to but um, it, it's it might be you know more of more of a one of the JCM models or something that are, you know, the newer ones, but it's just, it's just, it's just a bigger, deeper kind of a, of a tone. And I mean, I've got, I mean, I've got other amps as well. I've, I've got a, I've got an old 78 Marshall hmm. and I, I have uh, I have a rock and verb orange amp too. And, uh, uh, hell I've even got a, uh, uh, what the heck is that thing? Uh, not a Bogner, and it's sitting in my garage right now. But <laughs> but it's a, it's a, it's a great uh, it's an Egnator rather. Oh, okay. And uh, it's a great head. I mean, man, that thing that thing smokes. And uh, so the cool thing about it is, is uh, in, when I'm in the studio, you know, I think I'm going to experiment a little bit more this time with some different tones and and uh, you know see see what happens. Yeah, it's always good to throw another amp in the background and and just thicken something up if you need to. It's always it's always cool to. Just use another ramp for that kind of stuff. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's good to have those resources, and uh, you know, I, I'm definitely going to put them to use. And what about for guitars? Wow, I've got about 35 of them. <laughs> uh, Les Pauls are been, have been my main uh, my main uh, guitars. Yeah. Uh, I have some DBZ guitars that are actually owned, uh, or rather, made by uh, the owners of Diamond. Mm-hmm. Uh, the DBZ, DBZ guitars are really cool. Um, but mainly for me, I'm a Gibson Les Paul guy. Yeah, I have a I have a Steve Vai Gem Seven, uh, but you know that. But that, that's overall that's my meat potatoes, man. Is yeah. uh, I've got a really fucking cool uh, 1975. Uh, it's it's a white uh, Les Paul custom, and that thing just smokes, man. I've got a '76 Black Beauty. And that thing smokes, man. I mean, there's just something about the tone of the Les Paul, man. It's just fat as hell, man. And when I crank up, 
crank them through those diamonds. I mean, it's just, it's just, it's gold, you know? Yeah. Oh, no, I, I get you. One of the other cool things, and you know, I've got way too many guitars as well, and the kids always ask, Dad, where are they all? It's like, you don't want to know. You know I've got them. Just don't worry about where the hell they all are. It's amazing. Like, I'll pull a Les Paul out that I haven't played in a while, and the damn thing is still in tune. Like, it could be years, and it's, like, in tune. Oh, yeah, yeah. For me, you know where my guitars are when you come to my house, man. I got a room upstairs, and uh, it basically looks like Guitar Center. I've got <laughs> majority of my, my guitars are all hanging on guitar hooks all over the walls. Hey, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll, I'll, I'll send you some pictures, man. Why don't you check them out? i probably got about 12 Les Pauls. I've got uh, probably 10 Strats, and then I've got a few Tellys. I've got a really nice old... Uh, Gibson Explorer. I I got tons of tons of guitars, man. I'm just a freak for that shit. Oh, me too. What what year is your Explorer? It's a 1989. Oh, okay. I was gonna yeah. if if you said a 76, I was gonna shit myself because I've got a I've got a really nice. Well, it's not beautiful, but it sounds the balls. 76 Explorer. And whenever I would play that, bring that to a rehearsal and play it, everyone would be like, "You have to play that the rest of the night. That thing is just incredible." It has it has an early you know one of those first Demarzio pickups in it too in the in the bridge position, and it just it sounds fat and mean and thick, and it's just. It's just a really, really cool sounding guitar. Well, that's the way my '76 Les Paul my, has been, you know. Mm. And everybody always said I'll play live, and I'll have like three or four guitars lined up, and I'll play different guitars. And when I put that guitar on, every time everybody said you got to stick with that guitar. That guitar just balls out, man. And uh, you know, until I got the '75 Les Paul Custom, actually, I just got this a couple months ago, and uh, that is pretty much comparable to the '76 Black Beauty. I mean, both those guitars just sound better than anything I have. Now, does any either of those ones have the Dirty Fingers pickups in it? Um, I have no, they don't. Okay. Uh, uh, now, wait a second. Now, I don't. I'm not sure about the new one that I just got, the '75. I have not taken taken it to see what, what kind of pickups are in it or what, what, what it came stock with. Yeah. Uh, I just got it, and I have a guy who works on my guitars, and uh, I'm, I'm going to have him do a setup on it and take, it, take, it a, take the pick guard off and look and see what kind of pickups are in it. But you know what? Yeah, you know, I actually have another Les Paul. I'm going to put some dirty fingers in it. Uh, those are great pickups. Yeah, yeah. They're just really, like, unsung. Not a lot of people know about them. You know, everyone's always, you know, PAF, PAF, but... Those were just a really cool pickup that Gibson made. Yeah, they are. And actually, you know, John Sykes just swears by them. He uh, he's in his his uh, he has a nineteen seventy seven black Les Paul with uh, stock thirty fingers in it. Uh, well, I don't know if they're stock. He may have upgraded to them, but uh, he, you know, that that guitar he has is fucking burns. And he and he he's from what I've read, he just. Uh, you know, he loves those pickups. Yeah. There's some good outside ones that you can really use. And like in my Les Paul Classic, I've got the ceramic humbuckers. And those just have this crunch and grit and power. And, and people really like the sound of those ones as well. Oh, yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. I've got uh, I've got one of my, uh, I've got a, um, it's a 1984 uh, Flying V, one of the ones that I use in the, in the Lights Out uh, band. But uh, it's got some EMGs in it. It's the only guitar I have that has EMGs in it. But I'll tell you what, I, those EMGs are really badass freaking pickups. Man, yeah. they're they're hot. Uh, they uh, that finally smokes with it. I, I thought about on one of my DBZs putting some EMGs in it. Yeah, I think we're gonna end up sending back and forth guitar pictures because you're gonna like my V. It's it's like a Shanker one. It's half black, half white. Oh, I've got one of those. Yeah. I've got mine is mine is a uh, 1984 okay. half black, half white. And then I just bought. Uh, well, within the last year, 
the uh, 20th anniversary white uh, reissue that they put out, and that 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 smokes. And then of course I have another white one uh, that I was just telling you about that has the EMG. So uh, yeah, I mean, and I got a couple other ones too. One of them I got an, an Epiphone uh, that I bought real cheap from this guy, and uh, it's a um, uh, what, what what did they call it? A uh, 1967 reissue is what Epiphone called it. But you know, I played it and I got a great price on it. Like I bought it, but you know, but the Gibsons, of course, are the best. But uh, also too, you know, what I picked up is I picked up uh, you know the the, the uh, thank you stuff that Shanker did on the acoustic stuff. He he has a uh, black and white acoustic that's yeah. kind of yeah. I picked up one of those too. Get one of those. Oh man, I'm jealous. Yeah, cool. well, I've got them all hanging in, in one section of the wall. All of these with the acoustic. I'll take a picture of it, send it to you. Cool. Let's just scope it out. Yeah, I, you know the thing is, is especially with like dust and stuff, you keep them all out, and you're like, oh man, I'm cleaning these things. So I always keep out like a selection of like what I'm really digging at the time, and uh-huh. then everything else just you know it goes in cases, gets put away, and then until I decide, oh yeah, you know I'm missing that one, and I. I bring it back out. Or if I'm looking for something, you know, like really oddball, I want to have a certain sound. Like I got a couple of BC Riches, but they have a really bright sound. You don't want to use them for everything, but occasionally you're like, yeah, I just need this bright part. I'll get the BC Rich. Or, I mean, how often do you use the double neck? It's like, I just usually keep that in the case until I really need to use the double neck. And then I pull it out. Do you have a, do you have a rich bitch? Yes. Oh, nice, man. Is it one of the, uh, what did they call those 10 strings? I've wanted one of those ever since I saw the gatefold of, uh, Aerosmith live bootleg with Joe Perry with the multiple guitars. And he's got the 10 string bitch only strung for six strings, like hanging off his back. I'm like, that dude is just too cool. I need to have that guitar, but I've never been able to pick up a 10 string yet. Paul Chapman uh, used to be with UFO, uh, you know, Corey, he, he did the same thing. He had the 10 string and he put six on it. And, uh, uh, last time I talked with him, I saw him in Vegas and he, uh, he, he said he's got his eye on a, he's been trying to find another yellow one that he had way back, you know, late seventies. And when he was in Lone Star and, uh, he said that he found one in Europe, and you know he's keeping his fingers crossed he's going to be able to get it. He said it was just way too expensive, but uh, you know he wouldn't tell me how much. But I hope he can pick it up. Yeah, well, and you know those ones back when you know when when Perry and and Whitford were first coming out with those too. I mean, those things were all like totally handmade. Even the you know the necks were totally no power tools, hand carved. Those were some amazing, amazing guitars. Yeah, absolutely. I've always wanted one, and uh, and you know, I I still check on eBay every once in a while, see if I can find one and get a good price on one because uh, that that is out of all the guitars that I have, that's the one guitar I don't have that I've always wanted. So I'll have one one day. Yeah, I, I do the same thing. I'll every so often I'll just troll up and like you know what's out there, and and usually absolutely. you don't find any, but it's uh, yeah, it's one of those ones where. You, you know, it's one of those things, again, that you can't get that tone from anything else. You need that guitar. Those are the cool ones to keep around. And, and thankfully, my wife understands this. Like, no, I got to have it. It has a different sound. And she just kind of goes, all right, all right, whatever. Good. You're, you're, I'm the same way with mine. She's very, uh, very supportive. <laughs> <laughs> it's more like my co-host for the show. He comes over and he doesn't play at all, but he looks around and he's like, okay, what what is this new thing you just bought? Like, what the hell does that do? But then again, we get in calls with other, you know, other guitar players, and they'll mention some amp or, or like stomp box or whatever, and they'll look at me, and I'll be like, yep, and I'll just point to it and be like, okay. <laughs> That's crazy. So, you know, speaking about about stomp boxes and effects, do you just basically just use the, the Roland SDE, or do you, do you use any floor effects at all? I do. I have a wah pedal. I've got a... Um, uh, it's an old parametric three-band EQ. 
Oh, yeah, those that's like a little secret weapon right there. It really is. You know, it's, I've had that thing for, well, I think I got it in around 1983, if I remember right. Uh, it was around 1983 I got that, and I've had it ever since, man. And it's, you know, to tell you the truth, I don't even remember who makes it anymore because you can't read anything on it. Everything is, is completely rubbed out of I mean, it just looks like it's something I pulled out of the trash. I've had it for so long, but that thing is a serious secret weapon, man, because, you know, if you set it just right, it's like taking a wall and you know compressing it halfway till you get a certain tone, tone like Shanker did. And I, you know, I can I can get some really cool tones out of it, and I'll, I'll hit it when I'm doing a solo or something, and uh, it gives it just a little bit of extra, you know. Um, also have uh, uh, what is it? I have a it's a it's a Red Witch uh, chorus pedal, but I don't you know I really don't have a lot of stomp boxes, man. Uh, I, you know I don't. Uh, I, I have a ton of I own a ton of them, but you know I don't play a lot of them live. Yeah. Uh, I just crank, I crank the crap out of my amps, and uh, you know that's that's the, the diamonds have enough enough drive. I don't really need a, a distortion pedal or anything. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of similar to what I would do with my live rig too. Is I would usually bring very little as far as as you know stomp boxes, and just yeah. you know. But if you know studio or kicking around at home, I'm like oh, I'm going to screw around with this. I've got a ton of different stuff here here at my house and in, in my jam room, my music room. I've got I got tons of pedals that. That I've bought and I've experimented with, and uh, just like, eh, you know, it's you know they're cool and everything, and uh, you know for certain sounds or whatever, like in the studio, I might I might you know bring some of them in just to get some effects. But overall, I like keeping it raw, you know. Yeah, yeah. Oh, some of the cool ones, like months ago, I had bought uh, one of the Electro Harmonic, uh, the the C9 pedal, and uh, you know, which basically you, you play through it and it tracks, and you you can sound like an organ and. And it has uh, one of the patches on there is like a John Lord thing, so you can, you know, do do like deep purple stuff, and it sounds like you're playing the Hammond, and you've kind of even got the click sound, and it tracks pretty freaking good. And I thought, wow, this, you know, this is freaking amazing. And I had, um, I had Dave Reffitt over here, and he was doing some demos at the studio, and uh, I know he like loves purple and stuff, and he's like, what is that? And I explained what it was. He's like, oh wow. And he just got on there, and he ripped and did like the whole Highway Star organ solo on his guitar through that. And it was just like. Holy Man. shit! Like I just like demoralizing sitting here watching him just rip on it. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, it's a cool pedal. It, it tracks really nice, and and that's the that's the amazing thing. You know, after I mean, you know, you, you want to do that kind of thing, and you're looking and going, I don't want to put a freaking hex pickup on my guitar and have this big ass cable, and you know, it's like ah, it's just not freaking worth it. And and then you know, these things actually work pretty damn good. Kick ass! Yeah, I'm gonna look into that. Yeah, they've got a couple. They got a B nine, they got a C nine, and now they have a a key nine, which does more like piano. Yeah, and now since it's taken me so long to actually edit and play this interview for you, they've also come out with the Mel nine, which does Mellotron. So if you want to do Strawberry Fields, you can do it now with the Mel nine. They track pretty good, and it, it's even got a, a dry out, so you could actually, if you had like two amps, you could put this to one amp. And just dial it in low and then put your regular guitar sound right back out to your regular amp and just kind of have this little keyboard bed that thickens up behind you, which is pretty cool. That's a great idea. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Especially I, when you're in a three-piece three band like us with, you know, we have a lead singer, but, you know, that, that might be something to look into. That'd be yeah. Cool. Yeah, he was even thinking, he was like, wow, that'd be cool. If, like, if I did, like, for some reason, I'm doing, like, a clinic or whatever, and I want to do the purple cover, and whenever you do those harmonized lines that, that you know, the Blackmore and Lord would do, that, oh, I could just kick this in and do it, and it would sound pretty cool. But, yeah, there's, there's a lot of good uses for them. Sweet, man. Kick yeah. ass. Yeah, it's good stuff. Man, I haven't taught gear like this for weeks now, so, like, I feel purged now. 
<laughs> yeah, I'm gonna. I'll send you some pictures of, uh, of 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 my room and some of my guitars. Scott, uh, you got a new friend, man. So I, it's cool. I, I love talking with gear with guitar players, man. I could do this all night long. Yeah, me too. And uh, I'll actually I'll send you some pictures. I on occasion will build custom guitars as well. And, oh, uh, nice. I was bummed. I did a really nice version of uh, the Jakey Lee, uh, I'm sorry, Warren DiMartini, uh, one of the Charvels. And, oh, nice. Uh, it came out like freaking awesome. And probably about a month after I did it, Charvel decided to re release that guitar. I was like, I can't believe I freaking did this thing and made it perfect. And now they re released it. And people look and go, oh, you got one of the re releases. It's like, no, it's just the freaking one I made. And then, uh, <laughs> but then well, I made true. a. Uh, you know the George Lynch kamikaze, the ESP kamikaze one that he does with the, it's like like the camo and it's got the kamikaze's picture and the bombs. Yeah, there's there's a there's a store uh, here called Fuller's Vintage Guitars. They have one of those in there. So I made a I made like a a copy of that that never existed. So I made a seven string version of that in a oh. blue camo pattern. Everyone that sees it, they actually think it's an actual ESP one. So it's like, no, it's not. And people are like, oh, I want to buy it. It's like, no, like. I don't want you buying it, and then you sell it to somebody else, and you got this like fake ESP custom shop guitar going around. But it came out pretty cool, and uh, I even had someone forward pictures of it to George too. But that's like my uh, that was that was one that came out really really nice. Oh, that's badass, man! Yeah, and then I put the master switch in it, which someone looked at it and went, "You're insane!" You like you wired that master switch up, but you can get like amazing combination of different coils and parallel and split, but it just looks like a regular regular uh you know five-way switch is what it looks like but it the combinations you can get out of it are just amazing but you know it, a bitch to wire in but well worth it awesome dude awesome if i just paid more seven string it'd be even more worthwhile <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know i've never uh, i've never played a seven string uh i got several friends of mine that have them but i've never uh I've never never played one it's the same thing with a five-string bass too i i, I can't play yeah. a five-string bass but <laughs> I guess that's like it's being old, you know, old dog, new tricks, right? Absolutely, yep. So, you know, before I do let you go, I definitely want you to, to reiterate, what's the Facebook address again? Okay, just go to Facebook uh, and find Love and War, and uh, just yeah, leave, leave, leave a private message or just leave any kind of message, and I will make sure that you get, uh, you get a CD. And if you go to Facebook and you do Love and War, and it, it isn't like a picture of some very metal dudes... Instead, it looks like this, like Easter Island, like smiling thing. You are at the wrong love and war, and you won't be happy with the music. You, the one you want is going to be with the very metal looking dudes up at the top instead. So, uh, yeah, it's it's a very. We different have this logo. Band. It's really cool. It's, yeah. uh it says love and war in the middle, and it's black, red, and white, and uh, you uh, you won't be able to you won't be able to miss it. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't I couldn't quite figure out in my head like how to describe how your logo quite looked but yeah that about covers it i'm like it's like it's almost like they got this like weird peace sign thing going on and it's like uh it's interesting but cool logo yeah we got two of them actually there's one where there's like a peace sign and then beside it it's an upside down peace sign and that was an idea that i had originally that was our original logo and basically it was a whole idea of you know peace is associated with love and then the upside down peace sign was actually uh, is what they used to demonstrate back in the Vietnam War. Mm. You know, it was anti-war. They would hold peace signs upside down, you know. So anyway, so the whole idea of what the peace sign down was to represent like war, you know, like peace, war, love, war, whatever. So 
that that was one of our logos. And then we have a newer one where it just says Love and War, and it's got you know different red and black and white colors around it. So yeah, two peace sign ones. We kind of see a real kind of faded, you know, dark looking American flag in the background. I'm definitely looking forward to having more new music from you guys come out. So, um, and and again, reiterate, you know, when you guys are ready to put that out, come back on. We can talk all about it and, and really promote the hell out of it. Hopefully uh, get a lot of people all into Love and War because definitely another band that I think people really should discover and, and get into and and a band, I think you guys are doing it right, too, and, and making some really awesome music. Well, thank you, Scott, and, and uh, I will definitely keep in touch with you. Um, I have all your information, and, uh, yep, as soon as we get some new music, uh, you know, it, you'll hear from me before that even. I'll let you know how things are, are, are happening and, uh, and uh, you know, progressing, and, and uh, I will definitely keep in touch with you. Um, I do have your email address and everything, so mm-hmm. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll shoot you a private email, whatever, and, uh, and, and you know, we can talk later and share some pictures and stuff. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely, man. You got another, uh, you got a gear buddy now. Sounds great, man. All right, man. Have a great rest of the night. Sounds great, Scott. It was a pleasure talking to you, man, and uh, I will be in touch. All right. Thanks, John. Talk to you later. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. Big thanks to John Adams of Love and War, as well as Steve Conley from Flotsam and Jetsam for coming on the show this week and giving us a rundown on what their bands are currently up to, or in the case of Love and War, what their bands were up to uh, four months ago. John, sorry, buddy, it took so long to run this interview. But when the new disc comes out, get a hold of me. I promise it will not take me four months until I run anything about it. Okay, so that will do it for this week. It is a long one this week. But before I go, I do want to remind you of one thing. I know I keep talking about it. I'm going to talk about it again this week. Is that last Friday, Bob Nalbandian released the second half. Well, let's call it, released the first DVD of two of the second half of his uh, L.A. Metal Trilogy. Does any of that make sense? Okay, so obviously, you know, he released last year Inside L.A. Metal, Pioneers of Hard Rock and Metal. That was a two-disc set. And now he's up to, on uh, June 10th, he released the uh, Inside L.A. Metal, the L.A. Metal Scene Explodes Volume 1. And Volume 2 will be coming along later on this summer. To be followed shortly with another two-DVD set, which is all about the L.A. thrash scene. So again, that is Inside L.A. Metal. The L.A. Metal Scene Explodes. The first DVD of the two-DVD set is out, was out last Friday. Urge you, go out and get yourself a copy of that. And I did talk to Bob, and he did say that he'll be on the show very soon to talk all about that. He was just right in the middle of all kinds of premiere stuff and all that all that fancy Hollywood stuff that Bob is doing now. It's all right, Bob. I know you haven't gone totally Hollywood. Uh, just giving you shit, buddy. So that is a wrap for this week. As always, you can keep up with us at focusonmetal.net, focusonmetal.blogspot.com. The usual thing, the whole world has a Facebook and Twitter, so do we. You can follow us there. And if you want to just go old school and shoot us an email, you can hit our main email box, which is shout at focusonmetal.net. So that's it. Stick a fork in it. This one is done. Thanks, as usual, for continuing to listen to us here at Focus on Metal. And we look forward to talking to you again next week. So for Richie, myself, and everybody else here at Focus on Metal, have yourselves a good metal week. And until we talk to you again next week, remember... Focus on Metal! Everything else is insignificant.
it's over. Go home.